0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash
1: party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on
2: spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter.
3: Hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today. I'm kind of a spiritual journeyman, media producer, president of the board at CSL Greater Baltimore. I am also happy to say And my co-host is Spiritual Rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah's the author of Spiritual Rebel, A Positively Addictive Guide to Finding Deeper Perspective and Higher Purpose. How are you doing today, Sarah?
0: I'm good today, Jim. I'm on baby watch. Baby watch? What does that
3: mean? What does that mean?
0: One of my good friends is is in labor right now. Oh my goodness. Right? And so I've been thinking a lot about how A lot of the news we've been hearing about what's happening in hospitals has been bleak um, in terms of lives that are lost and as we see upticks and all of that. And yet there's still some joy happening as little babies are coming into the world. So that has me kind of happy today.
3: It's true. It's true. You know, We sometimes forget in the weirdness of this time right now, we forget that there is such wonderful things that still happen. And we have to keep our, our eyes and ears on that.
0: Indeed. So I affirm that mama and baby will be absolutely healthy, happy, and noisy shortly.
3: I affirm (laughs) that too. I affirm that too.
0: And how are you doing? What are you doing over there?
3: I'm doing good. You know, um, the holidays, when this recording is happening, the holidays are just around the corner. And um, I have to be honest and say that I've been going back and forth between news and Christmas music. I know it's early for Christmas music. But you know what? I For some reason, I can't do rock and roll right now, I'm, which I usually listen to all the time. I've got the Beatles channel on pro, con, possibly 24 seven at times, but you know, right now it's it's news. And then I say, I need a break, Christmas music. Is there anything wrong with that?
0: I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If there was, I don't know. I don't know. We don't use right and wrong so much on this right. program, right? You're right, you're right. I'm right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, do have a,
0: I do have a question for you about your christmas yeah. music uh-huh. now do you have a playlist for your holiday music of uh hits you you really like and you have to hear or do you just go to a channel and whatever comes up comes up
3: i do both i do obviously have a playlist of my favorites i must i must have that um i also have uh the i have sirius xm which has dedicated channels for christmas music right now uh and i've been listening to it for probably a couple of weeks now actually
0: (laughs) so i have to hook you up with my hanukkah playlist because it is rocking but and i end it with dominic the donkey to usher in christmas which is ridiculous do you have the dominic the donkey song have you ever heard this
3: i have heard it and i have to say i avoid it at
0: all costs i never heard it growing up in the midwest I think it was kind of more of a an Italian thing. When I married my husband, who's Italian, I got introduced to Dom, Dominic the donkey. And as an animal person, it is not Christmas till I hear it now. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I affirm your joy in that song, as I hope you will affirm my joy in, in other songs as well.
0: Do you have a favorite?
3: I don't. I don't. I just like the feeling of it. Right now, I'm listening to um, some acoustic music. Well, actually, I take that back. You know what my favorite really is, and I actually listen to the soundtracks all year long. I love the Charlie Brown jazz music.
0: Oh I no, totally, Jim. I
3: totally love it. I actually have like two hours of Charlie Brown music that uh, from all the different shows and specials that I that I play. All the time drives my family crazy. And then, of course, around Christmas time, it's the Charlie Brown Christmas music.
0: I never would have picked you (laughs) for that. I really (laughs) wouldn't have. I'm still getting over trauma from Charlie Brown specials as a child, that lying out all night waiting for the great pumpkin to arrive. I'm still mad at them about that. (laughs) Maybe I'll have to try your jazz music and see if I can do some healing on my Charlie Brown wounds. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I, think, I think that would be wise. And maybe some dreaming, too, because we're going to be uh, talking about dreaming later on today and dreams and how we can utilize the dream world.
0: I'm so excited about that. I'm a frequent dreamer. And so being able to read this book and, and listen to more information about how to make those dreams really work for us is exciting. Are you a dreamer?
3: I dream. I don't remember my dreams. Um, I know I'm supposed to have a dream journal next to me or something. I just don't. But I, I know I do dream. I just, when I wake up, they're, you know, only bits and pieces.
0: Well, maybe we'll get more tips.
3: I would like in our that. interview. I would like that. I would like that. So you ready for dueling inspirational quotes?
0: I am. Okay, here we go. Everything is moving toward its place of wholeness. Befriending life requires that we listen for the potential, which is trying to actualize itself over time. It will be there whether we are listening to a tree, a person, an organization, or a society. It is always struggling against the odds. Everything has a deep dream of itself and its fulfillment.
3: Ooh, I like that. Everything has a deep dream.
0: I like the idea that trees have dreams. Yes. Right. That's uh, Rachel Naomi Remen. And it's from the book, My Grandfather's Blessings, Stories of Strength, Refuge, and Belonging.
3: Beautiful. Beautiful. Love it.
0: What'd you come up with?
3: I have two. I'm cheating. I'm cheating. I had you You're not really
0: cheating. Mine was three sentences. So yeah, you could have two.
3: There are some people who live in a dream world and there are some who face reality and then there are those who turn one into the other.
0: Ooh. I love that.
3: Douglas Douglas H Everett.
0: I don't think I know who Douglas I H. is. I don't either. So one of our listeners is going to have to google for us and report back.
3: Here's my second one. Kind of a different kind of dream, but Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world.
0: Oh, that's another good one.
3: That is attributed to Harriet Tubman.
0: Oh, is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I thought these were very powerful to me.
0: I do. And I think that the link between dreaming and social action or advocacy or activism is important. Sometimes when we talk about dreaming, we're thinking about, you know, like the vacation. Well, at least uh, speak for me. I'm thinking of the vacation I want, right? Mm -hmm, Or mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the new job or uh, getting to co-host Big Universe show with Jim Lefter, right? (laughs) Like these are the dreams I have. Uh, But when those dreams become bigger than just us, that's very powerful.
3: Definitely. I agree with you. And, you know, I, so, I sometimes think that we don't associate or disassociate the idea of dreams and the idea of spirituality with the importance of actually taking action. You know, I, I do think that there, there needs to be, you can be spiritual and you can take action.
0: It has to be. And I, and I think that that spiritual connection is, does two things. Number one, it grounds us, right, to be able to be available for action. But also it reminds us of, you know, the interconnection that requires us to take action. It cannot be about us sitting around being blissed out.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Are you ready to get into our episode?
0: I am. Let's do it.
3: Let's go. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment.
1: Inspired by the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, this is agreement three. Do not make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. What? Find the courage, find the courage and deliberately, intentionally ask questions. Stay curious. Take an inform me stance. Help me understand stance. Enlighten me stance. Do tell. Tell me more stance. Instead of making assumptions, building up stories, and making up stuff, and then believing what we made up about it. So get a sense of what it would be like if you found the courage... To withhold making assumptions and to stay very much more in a researcher stance. To ask questions, seek to understand, seek to even be willing to change your own mind about something. If you got a piece of information that was new, something that was true for you, even a willingness to open our own mind. And then also in the, the courage to express yourself based on what you really think and believe and what you really want. Also not making assumptions that they won't do it, can't do it, shouldn't do it, etc. So reach down in your big, deep bucket of courage and take out two big handfuls and put it in your heart and see what practicing this could do for you and your life this week. Not to make assumptions, finding the courage to ask for what you really want to express that, and to find the courage to ask questions instead of making up stuff about what they believe. This means also to communicate with others clearly, to speak simply. And for me, it's a vital part of this is to allow time for things to process. So, communicating with others clearly, simply, seeking to clarify, keeping dialogue going, avoiding misunderstandings, accepting that misunderstandings will be a part of it. Also, that sadness, that uh, upsets, that anger will be part of our dialogue and our best attempts to communicate So encouraging me and you today to build some stamina for that, to allow for the human element of things. And with just this one agreement to stop making assumptions or even to make less assumptions, I absolutely believe can completely transform our lives. So any one of these four agreements... Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Stop and don't make assumptions. And always doing our best. Blessings and love to and for you all. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. MarthaCreek.com. Blessings.
3: And now it's time for our interview. Robert Moss is the creator of Active Dreaming, an original synthesis of modern psychology and shamanism, and offers workshops on dreaming, creativity, and shamanism throughout the world. He's also a best-selling novelist, journalist, and independent scholar. You can find out more about him at mossdreams.com. His new book is Growing Big Dreams, Manifesting Your Heart's Desires Through 12 Secrets of the Imagination. Hi, Robert. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Good to be dreaming with you, Jim.
3: Yes. Did you have any dreams about this uh, conversation before the show?
2: About this particular conversation? Well, we'll have to see what comes up in the content. You know, I have a lot of conversations, and <laughs> I do dream some of, the ahead of, some of them ahead of time. Would you like to hear a story about that?
3: I would love to hear a story about that. So
2: this is actually a story that is partly in the new book and partly not. You know, I basically finished the new book before we realized just how devastating COVID-19 was going to be for all of us. And I included some dreams that people dreamed around the start of the new year, actually between New Year's Day and Epiphany. I collected 400 dream reports from that period, including my own, and I put a sampling of them in the book. I thinking, well, where is COVID-19 and where are things that happened during the year in this little section? I notice a dream of my own is one in which I describe someone I call a matriarch, a very strong woman, riding up to greet me on a golf cart at some kind of Midwest center that has something to do with spirituality. And actually, the dream had such power for me, though it might sound like a small thing. Then I made a drawing from it. I drew the matriarch on her golf cart coming to greet me at the the Midwest Center, and I wrote in my journal, be prepared for a powerful woman from a women's center in the Midwest to invite you to do a program this year. Then the pandemic came upon us. So I thought, well, that was a possible future. We see the possible future. It's gone. Then some months later I received an invitation from a Midwest center, a spiritual center, essentially a women's center, uh, to do an online conference for for them. And I told them the dream is that, oh, that's so-and-so. She was our founder. She was our strong woman, our woman of power. She lived here for 40 years. We have a painting of her in our gallery standing next to the golf cart on which she would inspect the whole property and on which she would greet visitors. So we exchanged pictures and we agreed that Mabel, the deceased matriarch of this miserable center, had welcomed me to her premises for an online conference long before I'd heard about the center or realized that conferences this year would be mostly online. So I hope it wasn't too long-winded. It's actually no. bas- it's, basically, it's actually basically a basically simple story. But it, can- it contains a couple of interesting elements. One of them is this, Jim. We dream of the departed. We dream of the deceased people we know and people we don't know. And we dream of the future, the future that will happen and the future that may or may not happen, depending on whether we recognize the dreams and do something with the information.
3: Fascinating. That's really interesting. That's that's also fun. That's very, that's very yeah. cool.
2: So well, me, I live by stories. You know that. I live by stories. I find it hard to understand anything if someone doesn't tell me a story about it. So as a teacher and uh, instigator, uh, I like to communicate essentially by telling stories.
3: I love that. That's wonderful. So um, how did you come to do this uh, dream work? You mentioned in the book that you had kind of a crisis in midlife that became kind of a spiritual awakening for you. What, what happened with that?
2: Well, that's what made me take it up full time. Of course, I'm a dreamer from way back. I mean, the dream world is my... Home base, you possibly know. I was pronounced clinically dead twice in childhood, and I don't think of those things as near death experiences. I think of that as the doctors did the first time it happened, as dying and coming back. So, since my very earliest childhood, since I was pronounced clinically dead from pneumonia at age three, I've had a relationship with realities beyond the physical. I've known that for me they're absolutely real. I've had friends and contacts in those realities. I've known we can travel across space and time. I've done different things with that knowledge in my life. What changed my life? what put me on the path of a dream teacher, for which there is no obvious career track in this culture, though there has been in other cultures, was a series of experiences half a lifetime ago in the late 1980s. I moved to a farm in upstate New York. I just had it with the commercial fast track I'd been on as a best-selling thriller writer. I wanted to do something else. I wanted to know the land. So the white oak tree behind the farmhouse and the red-tailed hawk who squalled at me and dropped a feather between my legs helped me to make the decision to move to the land for a while. There I was, a white-tailed deer drifting through the woods and the red fox and his family at the edge of the cornfield and the sandhill cranes that came in the hundreds uh, in due season, learning the land. And I start dreaming of people who lived in that area before me. I started dreaming in particular of a colorful Irishman, distantly related to me in terms of genealogy, distant relative, and uh, with an affinity beyond that. I started dreaming into the world he knew of the Mohawk Indians who lived across the river, in the 18th century and were fighting terrible wars of survival. And one night, I was called in a lucid dream, drifting between sleep and awake. I was called to go flying. Some people know what this feels like. It seems as if I'm flying on the wings of a hawk, and I'm drawn into a cabin in the woods somewhere near Montreal. But it's an earlier landscape. It's primal. And I'm with, and I know I followed her summons. I'm with a woman of power. a Rondiwana is the old Huron-Wendat word for this, woman of power. A Native American shaman from some time ago who has things to tell me, but she doesn't, the, the words are incomprehensible to me, they're beautiful. It's not one of those new age dreams on the bubble things where you know everything at once. I start writing things down. I start writing down her communication. Synchronicity brings me speakers, native speakers, in particular of the Mohawk language and later of the Huron-Wendat language. And she speaks some of both because she was born Huron and adopted by the Mohawk and became mother of the wolf clan of the Mohawk nation. One thing she told me, one of the funny words that she was using in these encounters, was something that sounds like this, ondinuk, funny word, ondinuk. It means, it took a while to find its meaning, it's archaic, it's not used commonly today by the indigenous people who belong to the Iroquoian family group. The ondinuk is the secret wish of the soul, especially as revealed in dreams. And in the old way of dreaming amongst this indigenous people, the most important thing to know about dreams is this. They show you what your soul wants. They show you your deeper desires. They show you the shape of your heart's desires, if you like. More important than what the ego thinks matters. And the job of decent people in a decent society is to gather around the dreamer and help them recognize the secret wishes of the soul as revealed in dreams and to take action to fulfill those wishes so that your soul energy doesn't abandon you and leave you like a hollow person. That's one of the teachings of this tradition. And there are other teachings. I mean, this is a people who lived on the edge of survival, and they knew that dreaming can get you through. or will show you where your enemy is lying in ambush on the war trail. It will show you where to get food in winter. All of this kicked alive in me, ways of dreaming and healing that I think all our ancestors shared. It opened the gates to all sorts of other connections, to my fierce Scottish ancestors, for example, who started walking through their dreams saying, look here, laddie, we know a thing or two also, talk to us. I found myself drawn to many traditions. I found myself as a historian, Uh, Looking at someone who loves to do research, loves to read books, loves to find primary sources, I found myself researching the connection between shamanism and dreaming in all the world's traditions that I had time to look at. And out of this, and out of years of really adjustment and integration, came the determination I was going to devote my life as best I could to bringing back a dreaming society in our world, in our time, a society where people respect and listen to each other's dreams of the night and respect and honor each other's dreams of life, because that's what we need. And it was those series of encounters uh, happening on that land, on the edge of traditional Mohawk Indian land, that that made me change my life and gave me the courage to follow a different way.
3: Wow. Fascinating. That's really fascinating. Uh, I love in the book that you say dreaming is waking up. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, often, you know, in ordinary life, we're like sleepwalkers, aren't we? I mean, we're, 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 we're trying to follow the news. We're trying to fit in with schedules and expectations. We're trying to act out or avoid acting out some scenario other people have foisted on us. We're living the wrong stories because they're the stories handed down by a multi-generational family tradition of dysfunction or something. We're often missing out on the big story. We, we often don't know who we are or what we're doing. In dreaming, we wake, wake up. We wake up to a deeper order of reality. Dreams restore our inner compass. Dreams connect us with, with the larger purpose of our lives. And dreaming in this sense, you know, might be what happens during sleep. I have great respect for spontaneous sleep dreams, the ones you don't ask for but, and may not want, but hold up a magic mirror to your present actions and attitudes and help you to see things with an objectivity you can't manage ordinarily. But dreaming might also be about lucid dreaming. It might be about what happens in that drifty state, the hypnagogic zone between sleep and awake, where I personally spend a great deal of time and encourage other people to spend more time. It might be what comes in meditation. It might be what comes when you make a shamanic journey. And dreaming might also be what comes when your eyes open, your senses open. And you realize that the world around you is like a dream. It's speaking to you in a language of signs and symbols, the dog barking just then, a penny on the street, the child's chalk drawing, a snatch of conversation from a car radio. These are all ways that the world will speak to you like a dream as well. So I'm a dreamer in all of those senses, and when I teach active dreaming, I teach horizontal meditation when you're lying in bed between sleep and awake. I teach walking meditation when you're looking for synchronicity in the world around you. I teach you how to take action based on your sleep dreams and how to go back inside them, and I teach you many modes of what we can call shamanic lucid dreaming, starting out from a conscious state, making an adventure in consciousness, and bringing back gifts.
3: I want to hear more about lucid dreaming. Tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Well, lucid dreaming has become a very popular popular theme, and I guess that movie Intention, which, of course, shows the dark side, having gone further with it than the good guys, I suppose it had something to do with the popularity. The The problem with many of the approaches to lucid dreaming that is out there is that they're all saying how you wake yourself up inside a dream to the fact that you're dreaming. Look at your hands, look at the mirror, can you read text or not, et cetera. And sometimes, you know, that brings on a degree of lucidity if you program yourself. But I would say this, the easiest and perhaps the most powerful way to become a lucid dreamer and bring back gifts is to start out lucid and stay that way. It's not just about telling yourself inside a sleep dream, hey, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming right now, Jim. From my point of view, you and I are sharing a dream right now. Yeah, it's a waking dream. We can feel our physical comfort or discomfort, but it's a kind of dream. So for me, the two most interesting ways of becoming a lucid dreamer and becoming good at this First of all, to spend time in that liminal state, that threshold state between sleep and awake. Watch the images that rise and fall. Sometimes they'll give you a landscape or a glimpse of a person that unfolds into a lucid dream adventure. You might stay with that for quite some time. You might fall asleep and go on with it for sleep, or you might stay sort of awake, somewhere between wake, awake and sleep. And the other technique that I teach, and it's at the heart of all my workshops and online courses, is what I call dream reentry. What I mean by that is, You've had a dream. You've been in a dream. You've been in a place. Usually our dreams are not all that fuzzy. We're in a building. We're in a forest. We're on a mountain. We're with people. We're in a hospital. we in a hotel. So if you've been to a place in your dreams, just as if you've been to a place in physical reality, maybe you can go there again. Houses and buildings are particularly interesting. So you're in a house, not exactly a house you know. Okay, can you imagine that you could go back in the house in a conscious, lucid uh, outing, excursion, go to the rooms you didn't look at, see what else is there, see you know, if there's some treasure or some discovery waiting for you. In the workshops and online courses, we use heartbeat shamanic drumming, drumming, very simple shamanic drumming, to fuel and focus this kind of expedition. But actually, in the privacy of your own house, in your bed or your easy chair, you can do it by flicking an inner switch once you get conversant with the idea. So those are two ways of approaching lucid dreaming, which I find invaluable once you get some practice. You know, it's not good. At, I, I I, can be in a sleep dream and become aware, hey, I'm not in ordinary reality. I'm not in my regular house. And I might remember that my body's in the regular house while I'm doing something else. But that's less interesting to me to be saying to us, hey, I'm dreaming, I'm dream- dreaming, dreaming than to recognize I might be in more than one reality at the same time. I might be in more, one, more than one level of consciousness at the same time. And in all of them, I have some degree of choice. I'm not compelled to do anything without testing the nature of the reality I'm in and my room for maneuver. So it's more important for me to recognize that I can choose my environment and I can you know, make decisions whatever state of consciousness or dreaming or waking I might be in.
3: Thank you, Robert. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio.
0: I have within me greater power than I have used, more life than I have lived.
2: You're listening to Unity Online Radio.
0: the voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter.
3: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Robert Moss. Robert, um, you talk about the dreams being kind of like a map, I guess, for you. Um, how do we know what to follow in our dreams and what's important and what's not so important?
2: Well, you're going to follow your feelings. I mean, the first thing I want to know from someone who's telling me a dream is how do you feel around this, particularly, how do you feel as you're coming out of the dream, whether it's a sleep dream or a lucid dream or whatever it is, what are your first feelings? your feelings will tell you how relatively important this is how urgent it is how personal it is basic quality of the dream negative or positive i'm talking about your first feelings around the experience your feelings inside the experience are interesting but your first feelings coming out of it that will tell you and tell me how much time and attention this deserves However, I will say this, I don't discard any dream material. And particularly for someone who hasn't been in the habit of recording, journaling, and working with dreams, it's very important to put down anything you can. And most of us have more time at home these days and have a looser d- diurnal nocturnal schedule that enable, enables us to, to give this a bit more attention. Because I'll say this, every dream tells you more than you already know. Yeah, you know, some dreams seem very trivial, but you know what? Sometimes it's those very trivial, even those boring, tedious seeming dreams. But contain the clearest information about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or into your future. Because a lot of ordinary life, frankly, is not epic and dramatic. A rather routine kind of dream might reflect a rather routine kind of day and yet contain an advisory for you on how to conduct yourself in a situation that's coming up. You might be challenged in some way, which is not huge, but might be challenging. So I don't discard any dream information. We have different styles of dreaming. I guess because I am a, a prolific reader and researcher. I mean, I love to do literary research. I, I have 14,000 books, Jim. You can imagine that. Oh, my, my goodness. My house is my three-story townhouse, 1850 townhouse is, is groaning under the weight. So, <laughs> and, whatnot, and, of course, I go online as everyone else does. So part of my path of working with dreams is if I give me a phrase, give me a place name, give me some words in a language that I don't know or only partly know, give me Lady Google and give me my library and I'm off and running and I'm going to check that out, I'm going to do immediate research, I'm going to follow the clues. and So I receive a huge amount uh, of material, I mean last night, for example, I dreamed of an alabaster woman i 'm not talking about the woman of the alabaster jar from the new testament i 'm not talking uh, symbolically or metaphorically. I meet a woman who is made of alabaster she 's like a, a beautiful sculpture, but actually, the alabaster is like the, the the subtle body, like like the celestial body, maybe she has taken on a certain stage of her transitions, probably beyond this world so i 'm fascinated by this so i 'm immediately researching first thing today alabaster sculptures. I'm given all these wonderful art deco things and these reproductions of Greek sculptures and alabaster. So I'm off pursuing what alabaster has meant, including, yes, the alab- alabaster box or jar in which one of the Marys perhaps, from which one of the Marys produced the ointment that produced the ointment that uh, shocked and scandalized those around Jesus when she poured the stuff on his feet or his hair in different Gospels. But that wasn't my lady. My la- I, I took that into, my lady was an alabaster lady. So I'm doing the research. No, why? Not because it feels of Earth's shattering importance, but because it's interesting and you're studying alabaster its symbolism its quality the artwork that's been done with it so that gave me a cheerful half hour this morning just following my research assignment and another day it might be the name of a babylonian goddess you know it might be the name of a mesopotamian goddess who always has dogs though. i like dogs so studying gula an ancient mesopotamian goddess who was a goddess of healing and greatly loved in her time in several iterations of the mesopotamian kingdoms that gave me a good morning too but i enjoy that kind of thing if you don't enjoy doing research if you don't enjoy ancient history if you don't enjoy mythology if you don't enjoy art and symbolism you'd go somewhere else with your dreams if you go anywhere with them at all
3: so when i when i dream or or when someone dreams what's a good way to stay on top of of what you're learning because sometimes obviously in nighttime dreams i forget um elements of it and and you know i just wondered what tips you could give me to remember how to to incorporate things from my dreams.
2: Yeah, I'm glad that you revised the way you put it because I'm just about to say, I'm not sure I want to help you get on top of your dreams. <laughs> your dreams get on top of you. I was going to play with words that way. <laughs> dreams are wiser than we are quite often. They show us things we're not looking at. I mean, if you want to go Jungian, you start talking about the shadow and all those parts of ourselves we suppress or deny. So we don't want to control our dreams and, and corral them and get on top of them. We want our dreams to open us to something beyond ourselves. But if you're not a dreamer in the sense that you haven't been recollecting a lot of dreams, First of all, relax. You're absolutely not alone. A dream drought is a protracted malaise. It's a a psychic pandemic in our culture. Many, many, many people have had no relationship with their dreams for a long time, which, by the way, in indigenous traditions like that of the Iroquoians I was quoting earlier, the Mohawk and related people, is a sign of serious soul loss. They say if you have no connection with your dreams, if you don't never remember your dreams, is because you're missing a vital part of your soul. You're missing the dreamer in you. Maybe she went away, he went away because of what shamans call soul loss. The world got cold and cruel. Part of you checked out, and that part of you is a beautiful, bright dream, and that's why you're not getting your dreams. So, okay, practical. Practical. How do we start getting our dreams? Well, you keep a journal. That's fundamental. And You keep it next to your bed or you keep some notepad next to your bed. Keep your phone. If you want to tap things into your phone, that's what I do. I tap things into my phone and email them to myself in the middle of the night. I like doing that. I email myself a bit of a dream report. Uh, But you write in your journal every day. If you don't have a dream, write something anyway. I mean, keep a journal. And then your dream producers are looking at you, writing something in your journal, might say, hey, this guy's ready to listen. Let's give him something. Number two, Be kind to fragments. Most people who say I don't remember dreams have a little something, just a tiny little something, maybe a breadcrumb, sense of color, snatch of song. It's amazing how fertile uh, collecting fragments can be if you'll actually do it. Think about, you know, what, what does the color red mean to you? Think about what the yellow school bus meant in your life then and maybe symbolically now. So be kind to your fragments. Remember that the world around you will speak to you in the manner of a dream if you'll pay attention and that if you start noticing synchronicity, paying attention to synchronicity, playing synchronicity games, your dreams may come back as well. These are some of the ways that you start. What is going to really help you enormously as you go along is entering a social practice that makes it socially rewarding to bring stories to the table, whether it's the Skype table or the Zoom table or the physical breakfast table or whatever. I invented a fast, fun, simple way of sharing dreams or personal stories of any nature, actually, which is in my new book, Growing Big Dreams, and in other books that I've written, which we call The Lightning Dreamwork. I invented this four-step process to help people work more effectively and have more fun in so doing with dreams. But then we realized you can do, do it with just about any material. You ask some the person who might have something to share to tell you a story. Tell the story simply and clearly. Give it a title. That's the first step. Great power in telling a story so other people want to hear it. A power that lots of people lost. They forgot how to tell stories. They forgot how to communicate, to reclaim the power, to say your stuff so people are listening to you, maybe avidly. That is real power. It's real fun. So the first step is to tell the story as a story, give it a title. whether it's a dream or some incident on the road. Then secondly, if you're playing guide, you ask a few questions. You ask feelings around this. You do a reality check. What do you recognize in the rest of your life? Could it happen in the future? And then you say, what do you want to know? Then you say, and Jeremy Taylor and I were actually joined at the hip on this part. Then you say to the person telling the story, if it were my life or if it were my dream or if it were my story, I'd think about such and such. And you do not tell them what it means, but you can bring in any associations you have, including your own dreams and life stories. And then finally, this is why I call my approach active dreaming. You encourage the person who has the dream, has the experience to take action with it. What are you going to do? You're going to do some research. You're going to change, you're going to go, do some shamanic shopping and buy something in the color red or blue, which the color which was in your dream. You're going to go back inside your dream and go beyond the closed door and open a new chapter of the story or face up to that fear and overcome that bad dream or that dread of nightmare. What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do to bring some energy and guidance from a deeper world into this one? The point is that if you have a social process for sharing and acting upon dreams and embodying their energy, Then it becomes almost, you know, infectious in the good sense, almost contagious in the good sense. you, You want to bring something to the table, whether it's Skype, Zoom or the phone or whatever these days, because, you know, it's so much fun sharing a story. So you will find that you have something to bring to the table. So this is not the least important part of it. I mean, other societies have made it socially rewarding to bring something to the table in terms of a story. I remember that the ancient Greek Ilias Aristides, famous as an in interpreter of dreams in the Hellenistic world, who had the ear of emperors, Ilias Aristides said, for every day there is a story and for every night also. For every day there is a story and for every night also. So understanding that you want to bring a new story into your world and maybe the world of a trusted friend or a small group every day, that's part of how you'll find that your dreams mobilize to come and support you.
3: That's great, that sounds wonderful to have a dream circle that you that you actually can communicate these things with and talk about i that's a good thing, yeah
2: we have we have we have active dreaming circles all over the world now and I've trained over three hundred people and certified them as teachers of active dreaming, and in the process, the key thing is you get together in a group that is small enough on a regular basis for everyone to share something in a session, and then you there's rotating leadership, so people take turns to play guide. And to play dreamer or storyteller, and they go around. So it's also a tremendous model of a truly democratic process in which, as I say, everybody gets to play uh, leader uh, for a while, and uh, and that 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 that's that's a training in leadership and communication on an everyday you know level.
3: So the gate, I want to d- dive into the twelve secrets and just touch on them. Obviously, someone would have to. Someone needs to pick up your book in order to get the details yes, and, and, and the information. Yes,
2: tell them to run out and get it. Already. Yes, absolutely. Click on the right site to get it right away. <laughs> anyway, um, just have to push their own books more than ever these days. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So the gatekeeper—you invoke, you have an invocation of the gatekeeper at the beginning of of the book. That archetype. Why do you do that? What's that? Why is that important?
2: Well, I think it's very important to acknowledge that there is some power in life which opens and closes our doors. So this is the gatekeeper, and it's personified, as you well know, in different religious traditions. I mean, if you're a Hindu, if you're in India, it's Ganesha, beloved elephant-headed god. I mean, if you're in ancient Egypt, it might be Anubis. If you're in ancient Greece, it might be Hecate or Hermes or both, and so on. So they're different names. But this is a universal inv- invocation for the gatekeeper. And it's basically, may our doors and gates and paths be open, and our doors and gates and paths between the worlds. And may the doors and gates and paths of any who wish to do us or those who love any harm be closed. May it be so. It's a um, it, very good way to set some boundaries, some psychic boundaries, some mental boundaries ar- around your day, what you're willing to entertain and what you're not willing to entertain. And it also acknowledges in a humble and, and a absolutely non-partisan uh, way that there are greater powers involved in life than the ones that we see with ordinary eyes. So it is some, it is, it's an invocation with which I start every morning of my life, and it's one with which I start every workshop. We are invoking a greater power to secure our ways, to guard our borders, and to hopefully uh, help us go forward on the right roads.
3: So jumping into some of the secrets, um, you say one of the first secrets is dreams show you the secret wishes of your soul. Tell me what that means.
2: Well, we just talked about a little bit. I I borrowed the phrase from the Iroquoian tradition. The old word Ondununk is actually in the Huron-Wendat language, it came with With the clan mother I talked about to the Mohawk people. And it's the understanding that this is a way that dreams, one of the functions of dreams, is to put us in touch with a deeper purpose and a deeper yearning and a deeper longing than that which is entertained by the calculating ego with its endless grocery lists. Dreams help to show us what we really want on the level of heart and soul and what we should move to manifest. And hopefully, other people will support us in manifesting.
3: No, uh, I love the story you had Jim about Robert. Been waiting
0: for this one, <laughs> he wants to talk about brownies. <laughs> right,
3: Robert Louis Stevenson. Tell tell me about the his brownies.
2: Yes, you can order up brownies in your dreams. Uh, well robert louis stevenson said that half his work for it was done for him in the night by his brownies which is the name he gave to his literary elves and he said that they're dreaming up stories they're making up stories for him and constructing the plots and the characters and so on so that when he wakes up He's got half the story fully made, and we know how true that was. When you look at something like the genesis of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, uh, where uh, where he, he he dreamed up the whole story and then he proceeded to write it, so he gave credit to a literary assistance, uh, literary elves that come fully alive in in uh, in his dreams. And he said, you yeah, they have no morals at all, uh, no morals at all. But they become more active when he's getting more desperate, you know, when his creditors are b- banging on his door. Then they tend to get more active and help him find his way through. So he, it's, uh, his account of this is in a wonderful, uh, wonderful piece called A Chapter on Dreams in a, uh, in a book that he wrote, actually, while freezing and, uh, and very ill uh, in a cabin on Saranac Lake, which is about 90 minutes drive from where I live.
3: Interesting. Meeting your animal spirits—that—that that is very interesting to me. Well, yeah, I—I you know, I think it
2: re- resonates with Sarah too.
0: Yeah, I—I yeah, I, I am very fond of mine. <laughs>
2: Well, let's hope they're fond of you, Sarah. Let's hope you feed and walk them regularly.
0: <laughs> I do. I do, Robert. <laughs> happy.
2: It's necessary to feed and walk our animal spirits. I mean, the sort of new age thing. Oh, I'm connected to so-and-so. Oh, this is my tiger, my bear. And you look it up in a book. That doesn't work awfully well. In, in a in a in a shamanic and indigenous sense, we all have natural connections with a variety of animal spirits. We may be born with a totemic connection because we're born into the clan of the bear or the wolf or the turtle. If you're Mohawk Indian, those are your only three options, those are only three, clans, only three clans. But other animal guardians, other animal spirits will come and go in your life and their presence or absence from your life, if you've got a connection, will have something to do with how you're living and how you feed and honor the connection or fail to do so. So shamanic types will find eventually they have a connection with many, many, many different birds, animals, reptiles, aquatic creatures, etc., and that others come into play when they're dealing with specific situations, trying to help other people. And sometimes when you pause and look at it, and you say, okay, what is my body asking for right now? and you put on one side your human's set of you know, desires or dietary plans or whatever, and just listen to the animal wisdom of the, the things you're connected with, you might find that you're being shown the natural path of your energy. You might, you might find that you need to eat meat or you need to give up meat for a while, depending on which animal is with you, for example. So, you know, I will pause from time to time and I'll say what's with me right now. I must say, Sarah, since I've been living in North America, the bear is with me most of the time. Other animals other animals come and go. One of the big changes in my I mean, I grew up in Australia. We've got koalas. They're very I'm cute. I'm so
0: surprised living. I, I'm realizing that you and I live near each other, Robert. Where do you um, live? I think. I'm, I'm in the Hudson Valley. And so I'm surprised that you don't have the squirrels.
2: We Do we have squirrels? I mean, <laughs> I live in an 1850 house with 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 phone lines and cables and things out the front, and occasionally our connections are interrupted by squirrels gnawing the lines in front of the house. I mean, we're we're very conscious of squirrels, and I I tend to sleep in a small room in the basement level of my house because that's my creative cave. And one night when I was trying to write my book, The Dreamer's Book of the Dead, which is a challenging enterprise because that's what it's about. A, a demon squirrel would not let me sleep at all. It kept banging and scraping on the wall. And finally, because the squirrel would not let me sleep, I had one of those breakthrough nights when you realize you've not been allowed to sleep for a certain reason. But anyway, what happened to me when I moved to upstate New York is the bear came and got me in a big way. And I was scared to begin with. But then when I entertained the relationship, went back into the dream, met the bear, the bear became an ally in healing and has been so for me and many others, you know, for the past 33 years. And
3: that goes right to uh, what, what you also talk about and what is in your way may be your way. So what do you mean by that? Blocks are good in some ways.
2: Blocks can be very good. You, every time you're blocked, you want to pause and have a look and say, what's going on here? Am I being tested? Am I being tested? Am I being challenged to brave up or to learn skills I don't have or make connections I don't have in order to do something worthwhile? That can be a positive use of a block. Another positive function of a block is the block when it comes up in your life and is, you know, uh, uh, just unshakable, uh, just (laughs) immovable block might be that that power that I was calling the gatekeeper has actually set you up so that you cannot just go blindly forward on the road that you think is the right road because it might not be the, the right road for you. Maybe the right road for you is not where you thought you were going, but somewhere over here to the right or left of where you thought you were going. And if you can't go forward because the block is immovable, maybe there is a more interesting road, a more interesting door that is going to open for you somewhere else. I found that repeatedly. So, I mean, those are two ways of looking at blocks. Uh, and there are other ways of looking at blocks. But I think it is a great exercise in life for us to say every time we suffer a setback, might there be an opportunity? It's hard to do when you are enthralled, in the thrall of a bitter disappointment, a sense of betrayal. You've lost your job. You've lost your relationship. The money is dried up, et cetera, heart is broken. But it's precisely in that moment that we want really to make the effort that sometimes a heroic effort required to say, okay, where's the gift in this wound? If this door is closed or closing, where is the door that is opening? You cannot lose by trying that. You might not be able to pull it off right away. It might take some distance in time, and it might take some hindsight to look back. On those disappointments in that difficult period and then ask okay what was the gift in that wound in that sad long sit what's the gift in this COVID crisis what's the gift in the madness the country the world has been through it might take some hindsight to look back and see that actually eventually some cleansing and some change was brought about anyway it's an exercise worth performing and in saying what is in your way may be your way i'm playing with words from the stoic emperor marcus aurelius who taught, who, taught, who taught himself, he wrote his meditations for himself, not for us, but he write, he wrote his sort of action for the day kind of thing. He, he taught himself that the obstacle might be the way, and that's a good way of looking at things. That's one of the secrets of imagination.
3: So treasures in the twilight zone. You have yeah. treasures in the twilight zone, and I, I'm very interested in the idea of a, a council of inner advisors.
2: Yes, well... You know, um, my great mentor for this chapter, this, this is one of the, also one of the secrets of imagination, that you have treasures in the twilight zone. My great mentor is Tinkerbell from, from Peter Pan. Remember Tinkerbell? It's not in the J.M. Barry books, but it's in one of the Hollywood movies based on Peter Pan. Tinkerbell says to Peter when he's very sad because his fairy friend is going away, Tink the fairy says to Peter, look for me in the place between sleep and awake where you remember dreaming there i will always love you there i will wait for you look for me in the place between sleep and awake so this is what i mean by the twilight zone once again i'm talking about the liminal threshold state of consciousness between sleep and awake you know you look at the history of creative breakthroughs in any area including science and technology you find that often the solutions came to interesting people in this drifty in between state As states i gave many examples of this in another of my books called the secret history of dreaming it's a state when you can enter a sort of everyday yoga of consciousness, you know, watching images rise and fall, allowing yourself, if you want to, to embark on lucid dreaming as a certain landscape, landscape takes form. It's a time when you are highly psychic and intuitive. It's almost pre- presented as God time, God time, sacred time, by the ancient mystery initiates who said it is in the last stage between sleep and awake as you're drifting in the early morning and you've got your industrial sleep that greater powers inner and transpersonal powers the gods themselves might communicate with you Uh, so this this is a sketch of some of the possible it's a playground it's a playground in which you can teach yourself to go to interesting environments your personal dream cinema for example where entertainments are staged for you and you can step through the screen become star director script writer of your own movie i've lived a lot in this zone i would say it's been the most creative zone for me for all of my life that I can recall since I was was in early childhood. It's a a zone of active imagination and immense creativity. So I would say to anybody, if you want to grow your consciousness in a fun way, have some fun at the same time, spend more time in the twilight zone. There are treasures waiting for you. So one more
3: thing. We've just got a couple of minutes left, but I want to hit on your big story is hunting you, kind of knowing the myth you're living. Just a couple of minutes. What, What do you have to say for that?
2: Well, I heard this from Aborigines in my native Australia. It's an Aboriginal saying, the big story is hunting the right person to tell it. And that's the way I quote it to writers, of course. The big story is hunting the right people to tell it. We could also say your big story is hunting you, you know, hunting the right people to live it. Uh, you know, stories in a sense have their own life. We understand this if we look at the role of myth, the, the role of collective thought forms and so on in human evolution. Human consciousness. Stories have, in a sense, have their own life. So the Aboriginal statement evokes something like the predator in the bush hunting and sniffing and stalking, or the shark in the water circling, circling, circling. The idea is that, you know, if you're connected with a bigger story, a larger sense of drama and what is important in life, that might get you through the ups and downs of everyday existence. I really think it does. Okay, what is your story? What is your archetype if you want to go Jungian about it? Um, well. Uh, instead of trying to figure all that out and give yourself a headache, just put yourself in a place where the bigger story can find you. I mean, tether yourself like a goat at the edge of the tiger wood and see if the tiger will come for you. Where is this place where the big story will find it easier to seize you changing everything? Well, dreams are one of those places. Synchronicity is one of those fields of encounter. Put yourself at the edge of the tame land. Put yourself at the edge of the ruled pages in the notebook. Put yourself in the borderland of consciousness, and then your big story might jump on you, and that will change everything. And dreaming is a very good place for this to happen.
0: So as we've just got one minute left here, one important question for you, Robert. (laughs) If there is one tip or piece of advice you suggest for our audience to start cultivating this dreaming, what would it be?
2: Well, the the only time is now. Really, truly, the only time is now. If you you as you begin to understand that, you'll see that as a dreamer, you have access to all times: future time, past time, parallel time, including all the parallel lives in all the parallel worlds where you're doing something different from what you're doing right now. And with that, with that awakening, comes a sense of the ability, the potency to bring together elements. Of your multi-dimensional self elements of your connections with other personalities and other times gifts and lessons from your parallel selves into focus and into application in your life right now and when you wake up to that you'll find that you're one of those who's exploring the nature of reality itself and can truly not just as a new age adage but can truly contribute to the creation of your own reality
3: Well, Robert, it's been fantastic having you on. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Enjoy your big universe. And may you both and everybody listening grow big dreams and see them manifest in the world.
3: Absolutely. Thank you. Robert can be reached at mossdreams.com. His new book is Growing Big Dreams, Manifesting Your Heart's Desires Through 12 Secrets of the Imagination. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and help people create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio.
0: More strength than I've known I have within me. Greater talent to express. More courage I can muster. More faith than I can...
2: thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
0: Life is hard and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of A Guided Life Podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.